0: I think it's so important for you to wear your hair. Don't let your hair wear you. I think people can see when people are not comfortable with their appearance. So if you walk into a room and you look like, I don't know what my hair is doing today, and you seem unsure of yourself, that's that's what you're going to convey to other people. But if you walk into the room like you're royalty, like you're commanding attention and you're owning it, that is what people will receive from you. And so regardless of the way that you rock your hair, if you're confident in the way that you rock it, that's really what matters. I just want money in the bank.
1: Hello everyone, my name is Walt, and I would like to welcome you to the Boss Locks podcast where we redefine professionalism, elevate black voices, and we do this by speaking with black leaders, CEOs, bosses, and professionals who are just doing some amazing things in the in the world and redefining the world to make it a safe and inclusive place for us all. Now, today I have the honor and privilege of speaking with El Cole. El, how are you doing today?
0: Pretty good. I'm excited to be on Boss Locks. Yeah. I love the name, by the way.
1: Thank you. Thank you. I wish I remember like the exact process, but I remember like early in the days, it was like I was really just like, what do I call it? I had like a few different names and the tagline too. I had like uh it was it was kind of a mess, but yes, I thank you. Like, you. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> um now for those who don't know. Elle is the creator of Cleverly Changing. It's a podcast and a blog and really so much more. You know, Elle, she empowers parents and their children to cultivate a love for learning, homeschooling, healthy living, and more. You know, she uses her platform to spread awarenesses about sickle cell disease, diabetes, and all sorts of other autoimmune diseases. And also, you know, she's been in the game for, has it been like 10 years now?
0: Yeah, 10 years. 10
1: years. (laughs) 10 years. That's pretty amazing. So you Know with that 10 years of speaking about these things, but there's so many other things in between. You know, she talked about parenting, education, and I saw there were some um, blogs on your site that go everywhere from like paying off student loans to finding out whether or not your child is the school bully. Which I thought was so interesting when I saw that <laughs> it's like no one ever mentions that. It's like what to do if your child is the bully or bullied, but never on the other side. So, you know, I'm I'm really excited to speak to you. Um, there's, I have a lot of questions to ask you, but to just start it all off, I'm interested in hearing what are three things that most people don't know about you?
0: Wow. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is I have been married for almost 15 years. I talk a lot about all kinds of parenting stuff on my blog, but I don't necessarily talk a lot about my husband. And I met him when I was only 17. He, he was 18 and I was 17. So we've been married for a long time. And let's see. The next thing is I actually used to live on a Indian reservation. I was there oh, wow. with a program called AmeriCorps and I served in Lane Deer, Montana, So I did not have cell phone access when I was there. And I just, I fell in love with nature. So I know a lot of people see a lot of natural things. And I think part of that comes from me being on an Indian reservation. And um, it was just a different way of life. And that's something that people may not know about me. The next thing is I have a congressional award. So from my time that I served in AmeriCorps, right after college, um, I was awarded a congressional award by President Bush. So, wow, well,
1: that's pretty impressive. Congratulations <laughs> on that. I well, I never would have expected to hear you say you lived on the Indian reservation. That's really interesting. In oh, AmeriCorps, that's actually a pretty cool program. So now you get to really get involved with different communities and everything. How long? Um, right. How long were you um, a part of AmeriCorps?
0: for 10 months. So what was cool about it is I wanted to do Peace Corps, but I did not necessarily want to do like a two year commitment. I still wanted to get my education and um, just do other things. And Mm -hmm. I was engaged at the time. So I was like, you know, (laughs) asking my my husband, my fiance at the time, like, would you mind just waiting? (laughs) (laughs) And he was like, no. (laughs) (laughs) So that is why I chose to do AmeriCorps instead of Peace Corps, because I just, uh, I feel like I'm just a person who loves service. I love serving my community. And so doing that sort of public service was naturally a part of who I was, but it was a long commitment, and I was like, you know, about a year, I could do a year. And he was, he was in agreement with the year, so, um, so I did that, and I just, it was just a wonderful experience. I still keep in contact with a lot of people I met in AmeriCorps, and it's just one of the best experiences of my life, so.
1: That's very awesome. That's pretty cool. And congratulations for 15 years, by the way, too. I know that's no easy <laughs> fee too.
0: Yeah, to be young and uh you know you find the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with is just it's unique and um I'm blessed that I found someone that I truly admire. So I don't think it's just, you know, loving somebody and saying, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm in love with them." I think it's so much deeper than that. You have to find somebody who truly believes in you and wants to support your vision. And so mm-hmm. And you want to support their vision. So it's really about finding somebody that you feel like together, you both can fulfill your potential. And I know without a doubt that my husband is really the driving force behind me wanting to do so much and wanting to, and being able to give back. I talked about how it's important for me to serve my community and I'm able to do that because I have a strong support system.
1: Nice. Home's taken care of, so he could kind of go out there and help other people.
0: Very right, cool. right.
1: Very cool. How, um, if you remember, like how long did it take you guys to, I guess, realize each other's vision and be able to communicate with that with each other, so that you guys could support each
0: other. So we met in college. So I went to college when I was about seventeen, and um, he was he was a sophomore, and I was a freshman, and I think just being there in an academic setting, you're thinking about the future. So I think throughout our relationship, we were always talking about what we wanted to do in the future. And I must admit that I didn't necessarily follow the path that I thought I would when I entered college, like so many college students. I wanted to go on to be a lawyer, then become a senator. I'm not saying that those things aren't going to happen, but for right now, that's not necessarily my path. And so while I, you know, I had that particular vision, I also wanted to educate people and being an educator was naturally who I was. And so that's really the path that I've taken and what I'm doing now. I'm educating people through my blog, I'm also a homeschool mom. So I educate my own children. I have twins. And so it's really about um, loving to learn. You talked about, you know, me talking about loving to learn on my blog. And that's really at the foundation of who I am. I love learning and I love sharing what I learn with other people. And so I met a man who you know, he was a teenager at the time, but he also loved learning. And that really fascinated me, Um, fascinated me to be someone who was 18 and someone who was so intelligent and just driven. And we were able to just push one another. He's very laid back. I'm a little bit more assertive. And I really, um, I think he helps me see um, certain areas where I need to be impro- to improve, like um, procrastination. He doesn't procrastinate. And then I'm like, I'm always, I always have like a million things going in my mind because I'm a visionary. And so to be married to someone who um, is one who knows how to prioritize and is great about um, sticking through things and following through, I met somebody who really helped me put my vision and my follow through together. And so, and I help him envision more about what he wants to do in the future. And so, you know, people say opposites attract. And so in that sense, we're opposite yet complementary.
1: Yeah. Balance each other out. Right. Very cool. The procrastination piece is very big, especially as a creative. I know it's it's kind of funny. I feel like we have a similar dynamic with my girlfriend and I. You know, I definitely can put things off, and she's just like, like what you haven't done. Let's do this right now. <laughs> like we're supposed to be reorganizing the closet. I'm supposed to be doing that for a while, and she's like, well, oh no, we're doing it tomorrow. I'm like, but I have this no tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. So shout out to you, Hannah. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah. That's nice. Right, cool. So, um, having twins—now that is another thing that's pretty impressive. Um, And I remember you posting something on your blog about when you found out. So, um, could you take us back to that moment when you heard the news that you're
0: not just having one child but two? I, I think on that day, and I can see my husband's face. That's why I started to laugh. So he was in graduate school at the time, working on his MBA, and I was—I uh, had applied to law schools. I was going to go to law school, and um, I was working in corporate America. I had a really great job with a TV station, and. I, I, you know, as a woman, you know, something is different. And so I remember going into our appointment because we would go together. And I remember that first ultrasound and the doctor said, I see baby A. And I was like, who says baby A? But, but that was my first thought. And I was like, okay, you know, cause it was, it was a whole new experience for me. Right. And so then she said, And then right here is baby B. So basically, they look like these little circles on a screen. And I'm like, oh, wow, baby A and baby B. And my husband looked like he was going to faint. He was just like, oh, man. You know, (laughs) he was like, I can't believe this. And um, it was exciting to me because I was like, what gift to... Be born with someone who's already your best friend. So even though mm-hmm. I was just pregnant, I was just like, that's the coolest thing in the world to have twins, because you know, there were shows like Sister Sister, you know, and we're like, oh, you know, I think everybody in um their youth sometimes wishes they had a twin that they could switch Myself with. Self-included. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yes. So to me, I was thinking, oh man, this is so cool. Um, my husband was like, this is like, it's going to be two of them <laughs> at the same time. So that was more his thoughts because he's very practical. And I'm like this whimsical person who's like, oh, yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> so um, so that was my initial thought. But then 20 weeks in, the OBGYN said, hey, you both need to get tested for um they didn't necessarily tell us what, but they went ahead and tested him. And then at my next appointment, they told us that we both had the sickle cell trait. And at the time I wasn't very familiar with what that was. And so they said, we can test you through amniocentesis to see if both of your babies will have sickle cell disease, but you'll have, um, basically your offspring has 25% chance of having sickle cell disease because you both are trait carriers and at that moment it was scary but i said i i had known one person a little girl who had sickle cell disease and i said well you know surely because i knew her when when i was a kid so i was thinking surely there had been more advances in science that the lifespan of people with sickle cell disease would be longer, even if that were the case for my child. And so I, what I did, I just, you know, I left the appointment that day. And ironically, I, I was taking the Metro at the time. I live in a, a metropolitan area and um, we would take the Metro to work. And I remember getting off, getting onto a new Metro car. And I remember seeing a pamphlet there and it said sickle cell disease and it was a pamphlet from Howard University and it talked about their sickle cell disease clinic and i said wow you know and it just had all this information about it and so at that moment i began to study and research about it and ever since then it's really been just a, a learning experience we ended up having two daughters they are not identical so um, you know, the thoughts of them switching kind of went out the door because one looks like me and one looks like my husband and we don't look alike. <laughs> so so our <laughs> children look completely different, but one of our daughters does have, she has sickle cell disease and she also has type one, uh, type one diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease. So both of those have really spurred my life And kind of directed my path in a different way than I thought it would be. And so I get to help educate people about sickle cell disease and also about type one diabetes. So it's just been a whole new experience. That's really what led me into homeschooling. I wanted to keep her healthy. And so it's just kind of been a life-changing experience for both of us. Uh, Well, all four of us now that we have our girls and it's just been um, kind of one of those things where your life will help define your purpose. And so I truly believe that my purpose in life is directly connected with helping to educate other people about, you know, getting tested for the trade. That's something that I never even thought was Something I needed to do. In some states, when you get married, you have to do genetic testing. But we got mm-hmm. married in an area where that wasn't a um, it wasn't a requirement, and so it wasn't something that we did prior to getting married. And so now I just encourage people, you know, know your genetics. Know if you know you possess certain genetic markers so that you'll know what you're passing down to your offspring. And so it's just been an eye-opening experience for us, but it's, you know, it is something that kind of qualifies what I do, and it helps me know how I can help others.
1: That's a good point, because when you speak with a, well, from experience, like, no one can one dispute that, but it also, I think it will help other people going through it because it's like, it's not just someone who's studied it. It's someone who's actually living it. So.
0: Right. That and goes. thankfully, I want to say that my daughter is very healthy. And so our experience hasn't been one where she's been in the hospital a long time. She's actually been doing very well. And she, um, she eats right. It's really about learning how to take care of yourself. And so mm. what I've done is helped me take care of myself better. It's helped my husband, you know, take care of himself better. And, you know, our doctor's visits, we now know how to partner with our healthcare professionals, which are things that we didn't necessarily, they were never really on our radar before. And I think they're very critical for all people, not just people with health challenges. And so that's really some of the things that I share with other people on my blog.
1: Gotcha. So um, to kind of take it back to this sickle cell disease real quick, can you uh, explain what exactly that is for people who are unfamiliar?
0: Yes. So sickle cell disease, it got its name because the blood, the red blood cells are not round like a donut they're actually C-shaped and they look like the tool, which is called a sickle. So it's called sickle cell disease. So what happens is those red blood cells that are shaped like a C are like a banana or like a crescent moon, whatever visual you need to understand it. What happens is when a person is dehydrated or at certain instances in their body, those red blood cells will stick together. And when they become sticky and they don't flow through the body properly, that can cause a person to have health complications. And those complications could be a stroke. It could be organ failure. It can just cause a lot of different problems throughout that person's body. And what is most common that people know about and talk about is what is called a pain crisis. And a pain crisis occurs when those red blood cells are clumped together and they they won't flow at all. And that caused an extreme amount of pain. And that pain could last anywhere for a couple hours to days to weeks. And some people have even been in pain longer than that. And so it's something that just kind of changes a person's entire life. And so they really have to pay attention to their hydration and partner with their blood doctor, which is called a hematologist.
1: Sure. Thanks for sharing that. Cool. So I think um, it's pretty impressive how you guys have been able to continue to progress and definitely a blessing that your daughter is um, able to continue her life and is not in the hospital. So that's wonderful to hear. Um, I'm curious to know, like, what hear a little bit more about the types of changes that you guys have had to implement in your life from nutrition to maybe whether it's like physical activity and just what your life looked like from transitioning from when you found
0: out that you had it to like up until now. So when she was three months, that's when the diagnosis was confirmed. So that's really when we knew for a fact that she definitely had sickle cell disease and it was I didn't like going to the doctor. So having to have doctor's appointments, which were typically every three months, they would draw blood to check the hemoglobin levels. And that was really a transition for me because going to the doctor can just be a morbid experience. But for us, we found a doctor and and this is something that people should be aware of you have to find doctors and healthcare professions, professionals that you can relate to, that you like, <laughs> that you, know, you look forward to talking to, that you can ask questions openly, that listen to you. And I found that. And so because I found that, I didn't dread going to those appointments. And she didn't dread them either because it was like meeting with friends. And so of course she has a pediatrician and her pediatrician is amazing. And what we did, we actually found a family practice. So the pediatrician, she's a family doctor and she doesn't just see my kids. She sees all four of us. And so oh, nice. she really understands the dynamic of our family because, you know, when you have a child with health care needs, you need that person to understand the dynamics of your household. And so I made the decision to find a family practice because I wanted someone that I not only felt comfortable with, but my husband felt comfortable with, because you never know if something is going to happen. And you, you know, me as a mom, I'm, I'm not able to take her to her appointment. So I need her other parent to be just as comfortable as I am. And so that's what we did. It was really finding um, people that we trusted and that trusted us. And Mm. so we're able to communicate, we're able to make sure that her hematologist also knows her um, endocrinologist since she also has type one. And what that has done is really just caused us to be aware, like journal, We have, you know, we keep a a log, not as well as we should, but we keep a log on what she eats. And with type 1 diabetes, you actually, to better control it, they um, recommend that we, they recommend that we, add up her carbs. So it's so, it's so funny. And I guess funny isn't probably the right word, but I have a little girl. She was diagnosed at six who is so good at math because she has to add up her carbs. And so, so she looks at the carbs and then she starts to do the math to find out how much insulin that, the um, she needs and she puts, she has an insulin pump. So she puts that information in her insulin pump and we just oversee what she does. And so that has really caused us to not just eat healthy because you'll see signs that say eat organic. Everything that's organic is not healthy. And sometimes if you start reading the labels of things, it may say organic and they may put, you know, added sugar. It may say, you know, cane sugar, but sometimes you don't necessarily want additives in your, your food. And so you really have to look at those nutrition labels to see what is actually in the products. And so that's really what has changed. I'm so much more label sensitive. And so if I don't want to deal with labels, I just make sure that we eat fresh food. And so we have like a little miniature garden. If you go to my Instagram, you can view it. Um, It's not a whole lot of stuff, but I do like have herbs and things because herbs, fresh herbs, just make your food 10 times better. And so we really incorporate that. And I teach my kids about, you know, your choices. So not only do you need to look at the labels and recognize how much fat, how much protein you're eating, We were vegetarian prior to having children. Um, We tried to do the vegan thing, but we're just sticking with the vegetarian thing because vegans are kind of hardcore. No honey, no butter, no um, cheese or anything. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty strict, which is great. But I also want them to enjoy their food. And so... You know, right now we're not vegans, but we do enjoy being vegetarian. So I cook a lot with my girls so they can see how food comes together. We do a lot with spices. And so that has really kind of been a shift in our life. We've fallen in love with the way we prepare food, which is unique. So my daughter, she's 11 now. Both of them are 11 now and they can cook. They like to prepare things. You know, it's so funny because you you'll like see them with their basil or you know, smelling the spices. Like they really, they really get into mm. it. Um, even more than me, my daughter has told me that one day in the future, she would love to open a healthy restaurant for all people so that they can learn these nutritional habits as well. And so I think that, you know, while on one hand it was out of necessity that we started to eat right and take care of ourselves and exercise regularly. On the other hand, it's really just something we should have been doing anyway, whether she had the diagnosis or not. And so because she has that diagnosis, I will say that we do have to really increase her water intake more so than most children. And so that has probably been one of the biggest differences about our lifestyle as a family, that amount of water intake. And also when she's playing outside, if it's too cold or too hot, that can also cause her to go into a pain crisis. And so we have to be very cognizant of the weather and we have to teach her about knowing the cues in her body. What is your body telling you? Is your body telling you that you're too hot? that you're too tired, that you're too cold. What, you know, when your body tells you that, what are you going to do next? And it's really just getting her to understand that as a child so that when she becomes a teenager and and an adult, she'll know the next steps that she needs to take to be healthy.
1: That's a very important lesson to learn. I know kids are I know I was definitely this way as well. Like just ran outside without a coat in the wintertime, just like, oh, I'm just out here, and then come back home with a snotty nose. So it's a very yeah. good lesson to teach just regardless. So wonderful. Um, did, I want to go back to when you are talking about um finding a doctor. I'm curious, like how long did it take to actually find the uh, family physician that you guys use now?
0: Wow. So um, immediately after I had them, the um, expecting, what are you, uh, the books about expecting kids, the pregnancy books, I guess it's called, the pregnancy books all said, interview your doctors first. And Mm. I figured I would just use the doctor who saw them in the hospital. And when I did that, and my daughter did receive that final diagnosis I would say they were around two months when I realized this probably I needed to be a little bit more proactive in the way that I chose a doctor um, because I also knew that my family dynamic was a little bit different. The way that I communicate, I ask a lot of questions. I'm very involved and not mm-hmm. everybody can take that, take to that too well. <laughs> So you need somebody who's comfortable if you are someone who asks a lot of questions and you don't need to feel like you're restricted. And so I had to find someone who welcomed my questions, who welcomed my personal research, because that's who I am. And if that's who I am, I'm not going to only be that way about myself. I'm also going to be that way about my child as well. And so. So, what I did, I, you know, you have to go with your insurance. We had private insurance and it took um, me looking at their list and kind of calling the people, seeing if, you know, how did they talk to me? Did they communicate um, with respect to me? Did they treat me like I was a child? Because at the time I looked really young, even though I wasn't. Um, and so thank you to my mom. I just kind of have to say thank you for those jeans <laughs> 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 to my mom. Cause she'll listen to this podcast. She loves to, to listen to them, but she, um, what I did, I just, um, I went on, I went in, looked at who, who my insurance would cover and started to set up interviews. And I talked, I ten, um, I started to rebook appointments with the one person who just, I mean, she treated me like I was her own child. And so I was like, and then my husband also liked her. And he's so laid back and just calm and and collected. And, you know, he's just not a man of too many words. But with her he also communicated. And I just saw Mm. that he felt comfortable as well. And I said, so this is our person. And even today, it's been 11 years and she's still our physician. I'm so happy that she's still practicing and she's just so encouraging. She is also the one who recommended that I homeschool my kids. So Mm -hmm. she's, she thought that it would keep her healthier. She said, your kids are thriving under your care because my kids, they learned how to read very early. They were very inquisitive, very active. And so she said, you're doing a great job as a parent. And look, all of us will, you know, have our faults as parents, but you want to have a team of people who believe in you because with parenting, it's like, man, this is difficult. And I, and I have to admit, It is the most difficult thing that I've ever done because you have people, little people who are looking and just hanging off every word that you tell them and they're looking at you for guidance. And that can be very difficult. And so, you know, you want people that believe in you that. And so our pediatrician, she gives me recipes. I mean, she's just great. So um, I just I see her as a friend. Um, you know, she definitely imparts her wisdom about health. And she also has helped me find um, other doctors because we did have a different hematologist and I needed to find a new one after he he moved to work with adults. Because in um, sickle cell disease, there aren't a whole lot of hematologists that are working with adults. And so we need more people to go into hematology and work with adults. So I was honored that he transitioned, but I was like, man, I I love him too. So she helped (laughs) me find someone else who just believed in us. And, you know, you want your doctor to light up when you enter the room with your family. And that's that's what we have found. And so I just think that's important. So once you find one doctor, that other doctor can help you find other people. If you need specialists that will, um, you know, See your family and follow up and care. Then you know talk to your doctor about the attributes and characteristics that are important to you. That's what I did, and she helped me find other healthcare professionals that we added to our healthcare team for my daughter.
1: Nice. Now, um, what's probably going to happen throughout this episode? I'm going to keep on asking you, like, what is this? What is that? It's like a hematologist. Okay. Uh, what exactly does a hematologist do?
0: So a hematologist is a blood doctor. and so they don't just deal with people with sickle cell disease, it's any type of hemoglobin disorder. So hemoglobin it, it deals with your blood, it's like the protein in blood. And so um, so any type of disorder that's a blood disorder, a hematologist is going to be the expert in that particular field. So, for instance, just because a person is a doctor, they don't know how to treat all things. So um, for every type of illness, you need to have a specialist. Often that may be the case. In some instances, that won't be the case. But for us, for my daughter's type 1 diabetes, we have an endocrinologist that deals with that or a nurse practitioner who specializes in diabetes. And for um, for sickle cells, she has a hematologist that helps her. Now, with sickle cell patients, sometimes they have other complications besides just sickle cell disease and whatever other complications they may have. Like sometimes they may have a neurologist, especially for the children who have had a stroke. They will also have a neurologist who, and a neurologist is a doctor who focuses on the brain and brain activity.
1: Nice. I remember when I was younger, I think high school, I'm pretty sure it was fresh out of middle school, that um, I learned about Ben Carson. I read his book, Gifted Hands. I just learned about what it meant to be a neurologist. I thought that was so cool. In fact, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. But, you know, shortly after I realized how much school that would take, <laughs> I was like, no. And, you know, I'm not sure if I could actually like be someone of goes inside brains. So <laughs> probably the yeah. best of the world I stayed off. But yeah, that's, it's amazing. Um, well, one, just the number of different lanes you could take as someone in the um, medical professional field. And, yeah, I think one thing I'd like to do is help um, share more about the different roles and also different black people who are in these spaces. Because that's, um, that's that's a whole another thing. One, just to be a neurologist, but be a black neurologist or a black um What's it called a hematologist? Hematologists. I'm gonna get that by the end of this hematologist.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, yeah. and they do have they do have black doctors. And oh it's just so many phenomenal doctors who are truly dedicated. And I think for for doctors, at least the hematologists that I have come across who are black, they often have an added passion because they may have a family member or know someone um, a a close person in their life who has sickle cell disease. So that's just an even added layer of, um, comfort because it's like, you don't just, you're not just telling me to do this, but you know, you have an extra, um, compassion to it because someone you love has it too. So I just, it just brings a whole different dynamic to the table.
1: Yeah. Not just about the paycheck. It really is like about like, helping other people's lives.
0: Right. It's their life work because it's, you know, it's long, hard hours. And often people are reaching out to them in their time of panic. And Mm. so they have to be very um, together people who are calm, who know how to work well under pressure and under stress because so many people experience a lot of complications. One of the things that Sickle cell patients, uh, one of the treatments for sickle cell is often blood transfusions. And so people, um, hematologists often recommend people to, you know, do blood drives and things like that because sickle cell patients, especially often need blood in order to survive. And so that's just one of the things that uh, if people are interested, I know the month of September is sickle cell awareness month. So, you know, if you can give blood, now is the time to do so because you can really save lives. And we often think of giving blood for somebody who is, um, you know, who has experienced a car accident. We don't necessarily think of people getting blood regularly just to survive. And many sickle cell patients do have to regularly have blood transfusions.
1: Okay, nice. Well, um, I think this, let's see. Yeah, we'll make sure we include some more information, different links and places to do that because that's definitely, um, Important. And yeah, I'm so sure there are plenty of people would love to give and help and support and everything too. Hey, I want to take a quick break to tell you about a Facebook group we've put together called Working While Black. It's the number one group for black professionals, creatives, entrepreneurs, and people in the workforce to connect, learn, and support each other's growth. Is an extension of this very podcast, and will be a place to dive deeper into topics discussed on this show, as well as having the opportunity to participate in a live Working While Black series that addresses the Black experience in the workplace. Now, if you're feeling this, then you'll want to join immediately, because we're naming the first 50 people to join as the founding members who will get special privileges as the group grows. Now, you can join today by searching for Boss Locks Working While Black, And also to just make it real easy on you, if you click the link in the description, it'll take you to our site. We can learn about our guests and everything that they're doing, but also you'll see really easy instruction on how to join the group. I'm talking about like a click of a button and boom, like you're there. So, you know, it's free, it's easy, and it's built to support black growth. So join today and I'm looking forward to see you there. Thank you very much for listening. And now back to our show. Nice. Um, Now, you mentioned that it was your um, doctor actually recommended that you homeschool your kids. Um, When you got that recommendation, like what was like some of the thoughts that were going in your head?
0: I was surprised, partly because I love school. And it was probably one of the highlights of my childhood. And so I wanted my kids to have just as great, if not better childhood as I had. So I was a bit surprised, but I didn't rule it out completely because I knew that my husband had been homeschooled um, until he was in the fourth grade. And so I knew it wasn't completely strange. I also, when I went to college, I met other homeschool kids. So I was like, Hey, you know, they went to college, they were very self motivated. And my husband was very self motivated. And I was like, you know, that could directly come. That was one of the commonalities that I saw. And I was like, that could be because they were homeschooled. They didn't need someone to say, hey, this, you know, do this next. They were just totally driven on their own. And so I thought that was really interesting. And so I said, you know, if I have to do it, I will do it.
1: Nice. Yeah, I was – um, <clears throat> well, to be honest, most of my education has been an alternative, I'd say. Like I went to a Montessori school in kindergarten, and my, then my mom actually started a Montessori school because um, she was not about to send me to the public school in our area. Um, and then I was homeschooled for 10th – well, technically 10th all the way to 12th grade, but in 11th and 12th started doing dual credit program. But, man, I remember – <laughs> just at the beginning I did not want to be homeschooled at all it was like what are you doing to me mom <laughs> like <laughs> oh man it's like a almost like a death sentence um and I think we a lot of people have this negative perception of homeschooling and especially as a black person like I literally I know one other yeah one other black family that was also homeschooled and actually I don't even know if I know any others that were homeschooled but um yeah, it's definitely not a common thing. It wasn't back then. And so it's interesting now with COVID, like everyone says, okay, maybe homeschooling has to be the way. Not even should we, but it's like might be the only option. So um, it's interesting just how things change and life circumstances hit us differently. But um, at the beginning, the homeschooling, well, I guess you said your husband was homeschooled for a while. So like how...
0: Who? He was, Yeah
1: how did you guys approach it? Like the beginning of like day one, like what was the, some of the preparation you guys went through?
0: So for us, we live. So the very first thing we had to do was research our state laws to find out, okay, what information do we need to make sure we're doing it legally? And We live in the state of Maryland, so it was literally kind of just going to the website hlsda.org and looking on that website and finding out what our Maryland state laws were. And all we had to do was um, apply for a letter of intent. I had to get the local school system to sign off and my kids, what I will say, it wasn't so scary once I had my kids because I have been teaching them all along. I love learning and I love to read. The first thing I ever bought for my, my babies while I was pregnant w- were books. And so just automatically being that type of parent who wanted to read to my children, wanted to teach my children, wanted to explore the world with my children, that part of it really came easy for me. And so actually legally homeschooling them was what was, you know, kind of that transition. So once I did the research, then I started to just kind of um, look for a curriculum. The number one question people ask me when I tell them to, I tell them my homeschool is what curriculum are you using? But like your mom, I really love hands-on because often kids are kinesthetic learn- learners, which means they learn by doing. They are tactile, which is hands-on. They want to move and learn by just picking up stuff, touching stuff. And so, I wanted to give them a space where they could do that. And so um, my kids were also auditory learners. So I wanted to add a component of, you know, not just hearing me lecture because when they're really little, they don't want to hear you talking about that, anything really. They just want to play. And so I wanted to find ways to incorporate play. And so in their early years, we did a lot of musical, um, a lot of music. We incorporated a lot of music. I don't necessarily sing. So I would use different types of audio and videos to provide the singing and they would learn songs. So like for their multiplication, even before they were like like kindergarten, they knew their multiplication facts because of skip counting songs but they didn't you know later on I taught them you know well this is what that means you know you already have the tools to learn it you already know the information but this is how you put it together and so that was really my approach i don't necessarily use box curriculums i like to find what works for my kids and and research individual programs and so that's really the approach that i take but There are curriculums that, you know, are all inclusive and there are a lot of things online, like for one Khan Academy is really a great resource Mm -hmm. that's completely free that families can go to that has information for all grades all the way into college. So K all the way through college, which is unusual and it's well done. So that is just one of the resources that has been my go-to. Now that we are in COVID, there are so many more resources because people are utilizing um, virtual classrooms more. And so it's just so much more. We have access to so more. And so for my kids, I have them in some virtual classes. I teach some classes. They still love to read just like they did when they were little. And so, um, we incorporate reading, especially for history, you know, and I did love, um, prior to COVID, I liked going on different field trips and to museums so that they could see things in real time so that it would help reinforce what they were learning.
1: Nice. That's really cool. Do you ever um, homeschool with other families?
0: So we do um, co-ops and we would do certain classes with other families. So there is something. So co-ops are like cooperatives where different families get together and they share, they may teach a class together, or there may be one person that's designated to teach the class. And then a parent is a helper, kind of like a teacher's assistant. So we've done things like that. And um, they also have things called tutorials where there are like tutors who have, they. the tutorial may have a set uh, curriculum. And then there are different people who tutor your kids to make sure they're really getting a grasp of that information so that they are on par with their peers. So we do utilize those type of programs, especially for the socialization piece. But I wanna say, I just wanna throw in a little caveat about socialization. With homeschoolers, often they socialize a whole lot because there will be extracurricular classes. So my kids used to take ceramics, they used to take swimming. This is all prior to COVID. There are all these other types of classes <laughs> like sports. Um, this year though, they're doing their extracurricular classes online um, with other people and all over the U.S. So that's what's kind of new for us. And then we do have a co op in our area that is doing outside classes, which is unique.
1: Very cool. Yeah, I think one um, thing that when people think about homeschooling, they don't even think about how like what that actually means to be like free and to really create your own course. Cause you could have like, you, you could take math lessons or history lessons and gone if you guys wanted to book a trip. You could just pick up, be like, okay, yeah we were learning in Africa today. Okay. We learn about China. Hey, we might book a trip to China. Like there's all these different freedoms. I know. I mean, I wasn't doing that, but like when I was learning about the civil war from Charleston, South Carolina. So there's a, a lot to learn about just in the environment, but we got to, well, someone that I knew from our church, he took me out to the different forts that were still there it was, he was a big history buff. So basically like my, <clears throat> my history class for that day was going through and all the different, um, Parts of the forward to learn about, okay, this is where it happened. This is how it happened. It's like a real hands-on type of learning. So there's a lot of freedom there and just so many different opportunities to learn in multiple types of ways other than just reading the textbooks.
0: Right. And when you do more than just read the textbooks, so if you're using all of your senses, you're going to remember that information much better than if you only read it. So, you know, I just encourage people to find different ways to get the point across other than just reading books or doing a worksheet because that's not fun and you want your kids to have fun. You want you want to have fun. You know, right. as an adult, I'm always learning. I'm always perfecting my skills and I do that by doing by, you know, researching information and then applying it. And so we have to give that same sort of skill set to our children, and that will help them just kind of do better in life in general.
1: Mm-hmm. Very cool. So, um, your kid, you say uh, when your daughter was sick, she was doing her own insulin, is that right?
0: So, that's when she was diagnosed. Oh, okay. And when she was diagnosed, we started to teach her because you never know what could happen if. Something, you know, if we aren't around. So she mm-hmm. needed to have that knowledge so that, you know, if she was away from her parents or maybe with, you know, an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent that she could tell them, you know, to reinforce what was supposed to be done. So you may not have your kid do the whole thing by themselves, but they should be aware just in mm-hmm. case so that if. You know, maybe their school nurse or whoever, so that they can say, Hey, this is how it's supposed to be done. And so, yes, we immediately taught her that, but we would oversee what she did so that, you know, she wasn't wasn't just in the kitchen doing it herself. (laughs) Right, right. No, she wasn't. (laughs) I mean, she's 11 now. And so, with an insulin pump, a lot of the information is just pre programmed. And so, she puts in the number of carbs that she's um, eaten. And then it tells her how much insulin is um, for that particular number of carbs. So they call it a carb to insulin ratio. And so for every person, it's going to be a little bit different.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So I was wondering because like I wonder how um, or if you guys do like um, blend together like just these life lessons and school together to kind of create like real world examples. Like how how does that all come into play?
0: We definitely do. Um, so. Because of her different um, illnesses, I've gone to the NIH because I just live in the best area. So we can do <laughs> actual real life stuff. You can go to the, you know, NIH and learn directly from the researchers and the experts. So we did that when they were little, and I don't know if they truly understood, but they saw all different types of doctors, all different the diversity of the healthcare professionals and. Mm-hmm. She was able to hear from them directly, and we do we do utilize that as a health field trip. So that would go down in my log as a health field trip. Um, I have spoke at um, the NIH. I've talked about nutrition and you know healthy food to eat, cook, and things like that. And so my kids are often right there with me. I have um, I travel and I speak. And I bring them along because they also are good at photography. <laughs> so oh, when nice. you are creative, your kids learn how to do different things to help you. Right. They get get the angle,
1: sweetie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so they they come along with me and um, I would have them take pictures. So if, you know, or my Instagram, sometimes when you see me in the picture, it's actually my child who took that picture. That's so really cool, yeah. um, and I feel like right now I have them in a photography class. And they're learning how to perfect that because that's an actual skill. And so I think with a lot of homeschool families, we're not just teaching to teach. We're teaching so that you can utilize that in some capacity in the future. Maybe it will pay you. Maybe it will help you, you know, become an entrepreneur or get a, you know, know what type of career you want to go into. But we we see all of those lessons and those opportunities as stepping stones. And I talked a little bit about my daughter being able to cook. That is also a nutrition lesson um, and and a health class. So knowing what types of food is best for your body, you know, what goes into the preparation, how the food is grown, all of those things work together. And so yes, we we kind of view homeschooling as our family lifestyle. It's not just, you know, between two and three, I mean not, not two and three, but between eight and three, we do school. School really, I mean we have some classes that we do in the core hours, but educating ourselves becomes our family's experience.
1: Nice. And you guys are raising, like, like <laughs> Venus and Serena level of, like, everything. You got, like, culinary experts, nutritionists, doctors, mathematicians, maybe educators, photographers, speakers, ambassadors. Your kids are going to have so many. Mm. It's going to be cool watching them when they grow older, see what they decide to do.
0: Well, we'll see. Because, sometimes, you know, I want to say that for my kids... It's not cool because it's things that they've always been exposed to. Like other kids like, oh, you, you know, you went here, you did this. And they're like, yeah, like, because it's normal to them. Right. You know, to have a camera and be so young. Oh, okay. So it's, you know, so that's kind of like the downside. It's like, oh, I'm not, they don't see the um, experience as a privilege. They Mm -hmm. just see it as, okay, I'm learning. So, right. so that's the downside. You know, <laughs> I would funny. love to say my kids are just like, "Oh yes, I'm I'm thrilled." They're just like, yeah. You know, and then my kids also they're like they want to be paid to do stuff. So, so like, um, on my podcast, I have a podcast that supports homeschool families called the Cleverly Changing Podcast. And on the podcast, I have a section called Cleverly Cultured Kids. And often I'll interview my kids or other homeschool kids. And my, my kids sometimes say, Mom, you know, like, I should be paid to be on your show. Because I'm, you know, it's a regular appearance, you know, and it and it's true. So I will try to give them a little bit of a stipend, not necessarily a payment, because I said, you know, this is a part to me. That's also a class, you know, because I will sometimes have them talk about somebody they've been studying, maybe share a biography. And so that goes into like their media class. <laughs> so. That's so I just cool. incorporate it all. <laughs> all of this is learning.
1: <laughs> the power of homeschooling. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Very
1: cool. Yeah. There are so many things that kids could do. I think, um, well, actually one thing Um, early, in one of the earlier episodes, we had Patricia Clar on, and she um helps kids and teens who are interested in entrepreneurship. And she says she has like people who, as young as like six, um, just learning how to start their own business. And I think a lot of times we, Feel as though kids can't do this or that just yet because they're so young, but really the options are endless. So that's really cool that your daughters are already like, "I should be paid for this" because that's like something I'm learning now. <laughs> so
0: I'm yeah, learning. so that's that's what happens when you have a parent who's an entrepreneur. They see you asking for payment, like. Mm. I'm consulting. (laughs) Yeah. I need a payment or something. They see how you negotiate and interact and they start using that skill set on you as, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's, it's a hidden blessing, I guess, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I don't know how you want to look at it. So the good thing is they know that there is value in what they know. So that is, that is the beauty of it. The other side mm-hmm. is like, I'm like, you're my kid, just do right. it because your mom asked you. But I made you dinner. <laughs> <for> exactly, <me. laughs> exactly. I, I put a roof over your head. Like right. I'm doing stuff for you.
1: But mm.
0: um, but it's also a way to um, encourage your kids to build confidence and to build a skill set that you as a parent are getting paid for it. and they're often learning from us as we do things. And so, you know. They're going to be just miles ahead of us when it comes to how to negotiate and utilize their skill set as leverage. And so those are things that I'm learning as I go along. But, you know, to them, it's kind of innate.
1: Hey, I want to take a quick break to tell you about a Facebook group we've put together called Working While Black. It's the number one group for black professionals, creatives, entrepreneurs, and people in the workforce to connect, learn, and support each other's growth. It's an extension of this very podcast, and will be a place to dive deeper into topics discussed on this show, as well as having the opportunity to participate in a live Working While Black series. That addresses the Black experience in the workplace. Now, if you're feeling this, then you'll want to join immediately because we're naming the first 50 people to join as the founding members who will get special privileges as the group grows. Now You can join today by searching for Boss Locks, Working While Black. And also to just make it real easy on you, if you click the link in the description, it'll take you to our site. We can learn about our guests and everything that they're doing. But also, you'll see really easy instruction on how to join the group. I'm talking about like a click of a button and boom, like you're there. So, you know, it's free, it's easy, and it's built to support black growth. So join today and I'm looking forward to see you there. Thank you very much for listening. And now back to our show. Nice. Now, um, I want to transition a little bit to kind of hearing more about your career path and everything you have going on. And um, it's like one thing I saw is that you were a, um, let me get the, make sure I have the name right, the uh, ambassador for the St. Jude Children's Research Ho- Hospital. Is that right?
0: Yes. Yes. So what people don't know about St. Jude is that when Danny Thomas founded the hospital, The very first grant that the hospital ever received was for sickle cell disease. In the forefront of his mind, he really wanted to have a hospital that treated rare diseases like sickle cell alongside children of all colors. And so he was at the foundation of the civil rights movement in taking care of children's health. And so people often think of St. Jude as only being a hospital that treats cancer, but they treat more than just cancer patients. They have a sickle cell clinic inside the hospital. And that's really how we got started. They reached out to me. I was blogging on my blog and talking about parenting a child with sickle cell. And they flew me to the hospital and I tried to raise awareness about St. Jude raise money for St. Jude. If you go to my website and type in St. Jude Children's Research Hospital or just St. Jude, there will be posts that come up and there will be a link in there where you can donate if that's something that resonates with you. And so it's just, for me, it's just an opportunity to let people know about all the amazing work that the hospital does because the research that they do for sickle cell, it not only helps kids who attend, who visit the hospital as a patient, but it helps children all over the world who have sickle cell disease. And also in 1983, it was the very first place to, to cure sickle cell disease. So you hear about people talking about sickle cell disease, but you don't necessarily hear about people recognizing or acknowledging that there is a cure. There is a cure. And the cure that sickle cell, um, the cure for sickle cell disease that St. Jude found was through a bone marrow transplant. There was a patient who had leukemia and also sickle cell disease. When they tried to cure her leukemia, they found out that it also cured her of sickle cell disease. Now, why are there so many people who have sickle cell disease if there is a cure? Well, that's because it is very hard to find bone marrow matches because it's typically easier if the person has the same mother and father. And often with sickle cell patients, you know, again, I talked about there being one in four chance of offspring of two parents who have the trait, if they, you know, having offspring that had sickle cell disease. So that means that if parents have multiple children, all of their kids could have sickle cell disease, one could have it, you know, it just, it means that there aren't a whole lot of ways to um, find exact matches for that bone marrow. And so what, me and other parents and healthcare professionals and researchers are looking for is a more universal cure that exists. So right now, the bone marrow transplant is helping many, many, many families, but we want there to be a cure that is um, less invasive. So a bone marrow transplant often means that a person has to go through chemotherapy and and get a bone marrow transplant. So that is a pretty Mm -hmm. invasive process. And it means many, many weeks and months possibly in the hospital. And so I think that for a lot of us, we want more options. We want something that will, you know, something that will definitely Cure everybody because a bone marrow transplant, sometimes they don't work for everybody, even if people get them. And so we're still fighting for a better cure. Uh, Stem cell transplant is also another cure that is um, becoming more widely used. And there's one other that is also coming onto the market, and that's gene therapy. And so St. Jude is really at the forefront of all three types of research. And they're really working with researchers all over the world to come up with different cures. Because just like no two people are the same, even if you have identical twins, no sickle cell isn't the same for everybody, which means that the cure is often different depending on that person's genetic makeup.
1: Hmm. I got it. And I'm really glad you touched on cure and why that doesn't mean it's the end. I think for a lot of us, we think of cures as like, like in the movies, you know, someone discovers a cure and they just run to wherever and shoot it off to the Avengers and they cure everybody. But really, it's just a continuous development and I guess a cure is just more so a cure, not the cure.
0: There's more
1: research because like chemotherapy, that's definitely not a fun, simple process. So um, that's very interesting, and I think Saint Jude found a very good ambassador. You definitely know your stuff.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, I also want to just put in a little commercial here that oh. for the month of September, I mentioned that it is Sickle Cell Awareness Month. I have actually partnered with Be the Match. That is the foundation that really, where whenever somebody says they want to donate their bone marrow, um, it is Be the Match Foundation that collects all of that information and helps partner with the hospitals to um, help people identify who their match is. And so for the month of September, I partnered with them to help bring in more African-American donors. Hmm. Unfortunately, there are millions of people on the registry, but only 4% is African-American donors. And there are tons of people of African American descent who need, um, bone marrow or stem cells. And so what people can do if they are interested in going onto the registry. So I've done the process and that's where you, um, you have to be between 18 and 44. Ideally, they want you to be healthy. And so, they, um, You do a cheek swab. It's really just like a Q-tip and you swab the inside of your mouth and you put it into a Ziploc bag and you send it back to the registry and um, be the match. It's a secure process. And they analyze it and they find someone that is a match that needs you. And so it can take a month. It can take years, you know, Mm -hmm. But what they need, they need more people who are willing to even be on the registry so that they can be called and identified. So if there are people who are interested, I'm really trying to get 25 people, which is a small number. So, you know, I would love to get more, but my minimal goal is 25 people who are interested in. Becoming donors and what people can do. I'm going to give you my my link is actually S as in Sam C as in cat. The number three Carly that C as in cat A is in Apple R as in rat L as in lion E as in elephant Y as in yellow. You text that to six one four seven four. So you text it to the number six one four seven four and you would text C three Carly in order to um, get the information and sign up for the Be The Match registry, and they'll send you out the kit. So when you text that, they'll send you the link, and you'll be able to get the packet so that you can become an official donor. And I just would be just thrilled because there are not only sickle cell patients who need it, there are cancer patients and other rare diseases who need stem cells and bone marrow. So if you are in that age range, if you're of African-American descent, please help save a life.
1: Oh, yeah. And you're only trying to find 25 people at minimum. So we could definitely blow that out. We're definitely. Yeah, for sure. There's um, a Facebook group. Well, by the time this will be out, it's already large and thriving millions of people but working while black so it's all for professional ceos creatives everyone who is black and in professional settings um every professional setting to kind of come together to connect learn and grow so we should be able to do something special in that group t- to Hope
0: um right.
1: get that and it's just a cheek swab that's all you're asking for Right. That's, so that's basically it. <laughs> the process to get it. okay. All
0: right. Yeah. Right. I, I just need some now, more you know? <laughs> people into the registry so that later on mm. when they find a match, mm-hmm. you know, then they tell you about the rest of the process. But it can take a long time. Right now they don't even have enough people to contact. And so I'm trying to do my part because I feel like, you know, so many families, their only hope is this cure is a bone marrow transplant. And so I just, you know, I have a friend who did it. She donated her bone, bone marrow. And so when she told me, you know, I had a child with sickle cell disease and I hadn't joined the registry. But when she told me that she she's a nurse and she was like, I see so many people coming through that need this. I'm going to do this. And when she did it, I said, wow, that that love. She didn't have any kids but she had so much love to want to save somebody's life. I said, at the bare minimum, I can sign up and be on the registry and do the cheek swab. And then I had an opportunity because it is my goal. I have to do all I can as a parent to raise awareness and let people know because you know, ignorance can be bliss. You don't know what you can do to help somebody else. And so I'm trying to um, just be a voice to those who may not be able to to share their voice and to say, "Hey, this is what I need." So
1: love that, love that. Thank you for sharing. It's like you're. It, ignorance is bliss, but also it's just things like like this cheek swab. That's a very simple thing that a lot of people would be willing to do, but like I never even like. Of course, I've heard of sickle cell. Uh, disease and all these other things but you just think of like okay yeah the experts are doing that not really anything i could do except you know maybe donate every now and then but yeah thank thank you for sharing that resource
0: well thank mm-hmm. you thanks for listening you know it's always just important to have an avenue to tell people right. so so thanks for you know letting your show be one of those avenues i appreciate oh, man. it
1: i'm happy to be a part of this very cool right.
0: so um I'm curious as
1: this has. Hmm. I guess so. You mentioned that you were in the corporate world for a while, um, and now I'm assuming this is this kind of your full time? You know, as a mother and also leading the cleverly changing whole organization with the blog and podcast and all these different initiatives you're a part of. So, kind of curious to hear about that switch from that corporate world to kind of what you're doing now?
0: So I, I went to college. I have a degree in English and history. I also have, um, I'm also a paralegal. Um, and so I wanted to go into law. So I said, Hey, let me, you know, get my paralegal certification. Let me work in the legal field so that, um, I can make money and go to law school without a whole lot of debt <laughs> um, because I had paid off my student loans, and I was like, I don't know about all this debt. <laughs> so, um, so what I did was I was working in, and I wanted to go to law school, but that, you know, I mentioned um, I had applied, and then I found out I was pregnant, then I found out one of my babies had the possibility of having sickle cell disease. And I was like, hold up, let me transition. But when I was in the corporate world, I was working, um, you know, doing contracts and things like that as a paralegal, reading over them. Um, that's really where my English skills came into play. And I love technology. So I often was able to um, do things a little quicker, add a flair to it, just, you know, just utilize my my own talents to make things a little bit better. And um, that's what I did. And I was working for a television station at the time. And it was, I loved the job. I loved the experience. I worked on the 10th um, floor with all of the corporate um executives so the people who made the big bucks and they were so kind and so just encouraging and they were like yeah go to law school and they they just encouraged me and all at the same time i had locks so this is <laughs> this is one of the things that i want to share because I remember when I would tell people I wanted to be a lawyer and they didn't necessarily know where I worked, but they were like, oh, you got, you have lots. And so this was about, man, um, 11, 10, 10 years ago, I would say, um, 10, 11, 12, 13 years ago, um, because I worked there for a little while and I did have lots and it was never a hindrance to me it was always, um, I think it's how you carry yourself sometimes. And you have to go in a space being confident. And I was always confident. I was confident as a writer. And so I, I, I had to turn in a writing sample. And it was really like, I was given people an opportunity to know me through my writing. And even though contracts aren't like that at all, they wanted a writing sample. I gave them a creative writing sample, but the writing I was doing there was not creative at all. So I do want to kind of <laughs> let people know that you no know, contracts are pretty, pretty uh, standard. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't that side of it wasn't creative, but um it was just it was great to be able to feel like I was accepted. I did have to dress up, and um, I really think it was more so the confidence I had the education, I had the skill set and I think um because that's what often um preceded me, it was my resume and it was my you know, when you do an interview, they get to know you as a person, and that always went a little further than my hair. So that was just my unique experience. I don't know if people were like, oh my gosh, she has locks, you know, that was never the, um, experience that I was given. It was more so, um, always acceptance. And so Mm -hmm. what I will say though, in the homeschool world, people often, um, you know, other parents were like, well, are you a Rastafarian? And I'm like, is this like, <laughs> you know, people just <laughs> never, never know. And they come up with their um, own preconceived notions. So I faced more of that in the homeschool world versus in the professional world.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's It's um, like, and I've mentioned this to you before, but part of why I started this was to learn about how people like yourself are navigating these settings. Cause I've known and I've seen people who <clears throat> have locks and are in these places, um, without having to kind of change the way they are. And of course I also know people who had to cover them and people who just didn't get a job. And I've had a, um, which I'm learning to not just, um, diminish, but experience with it myself. But, um, always love to hear when people are in these places with forming and how they did it so thank you for sharing that
0: and i w- i will also say that i i think that people thought i had braids <laughs> 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 so i don't think everybody knew that it was my real hair um because people just assume being an african american woman you know people put braids in their hair so by, you know, by the time I was coming along in the corporate world, that was a professional hairstyle. So I don't know that they really understood that they were locks. So everybody's Mm -hmm. locks are different. And so my locks, they're individuals and they do look like braids. So, but they're, they're my, this is how my hair grows. And um, I've had locks for 15 years. And so they're all natural, no full locks. I started from I didn't start from, I didn't like shave my head and start. I had been natural for a long time and I just twisted my hair. So I never went through really, really short, a really, really short stage. It was always kind of medium. Gotcha. That's
1: interesting. So um, do you remember what inspired you to actually start the luck journey?
0: Yes. So I am the youngest of five daughters and my oldest sister, Had locks for most of my life. And so it wasn't something that was completely different to my family's lifestyle. But my mom, I grew up in a kind of a traditional home. So she was like, you know, the she preferred to have the hair pressed. And so that was kind of the way I grew up. So as a kid, I wanted to have. Locks, but my mom didn't necessarily think that that was presentable. She actually has locks now, so many years later. So, so, transformation is funny. Right, right. So she had a whole new, new mindset. And I would say almost every one of my sisters, all of my older siblings are girls. So they're all sisters. Every single one of them has had locks at one point. And so, um, I was the third sister that locked. So it wasn't necessarily completely different, but for me, it was really, I had been natural because I didn't, I never liked chemicals. I'm a very natural person. That's just who I am. Um, So I probably only had maybe less than 10 perms in my entire life. Um, So when I was in high school, I was like, "Mm, this isn't really, I would wear my hair in braids and different things like that. And I was like, I'm not, I don't necessarily like straight hair and I would wear weaves and sometimes, and I was like, oh, I would really hate when I would find a a long strand of hair that wasn't, you know, my natural hair. I was just like, oh, it would like freak me out. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, okay, I can't do these weaves. And so when I was in college, I was like, I'm out of my, my mother's house. I can wear my hair how I want. And so that's really where I went natural. And I was going to a school where I was, it wasn't a whole lot of people of color. So I would wear like head wraps and things like that, but I didn't start locking until after I graduated. It was after the graduation process that I felt more comfortable to just do what I wanted with my hair. And I was like, if people don't accept me, that's their problem. And I was like, you know, I'm intelligent not in a conceited way. Like, I, I know, you know, this is just who I am. I had become comfortable in who I was because I had done so many different experiences all by myself that were completely unique. And I had been in so many different communities with people who were not like me. And I realized that you can conform and people not like you. So. Whatever you do, it's always going to be a struggle. So I just chose, hey, it's so much easier to just be myself. And this is who I am. And so I feel like me being natural and going natural was a freedom. It was me telling the world that I am comfortable with all of me. And I'm not ashamed of it. It's just it's a part of me. And so um, I've been maintaining my own locks for years And it's it's easy for me because again I've had so many siblings, so I know what's healthy and how to you know maintain them, keep them healthy, and let them grow because it is naturally a part of who I am.
1: Nice. So, with the mindset of being kind of part of who you are, um, would you say that like do you consider your blocks as a hairstyle
0: or a lifestyle? I would say it's a lifestyle um, mainly because I've had them for 15 years. Like (laughs) they've been through these experiences with me, you know, and I just, you know, it's, it's so unique. Um, when I met my husband, I did not have locks and (laughs) it's just funny because the, um, the, the wash day for naturals, it was so time-consuming. Like, I, I was like, right. this is just for the birds. Because I felt like it was taken away from my time that I had to do much-needed stuff. I'm the type of creative. I like to get stuff done. I like to finish projects. And if I'm spending hours on my hair, that's just cutting into my creativity. And so um, I, it was before this whole trend where, you know, like, there's great products. When I started, you had to make your own great products. So, so <laughs> it was like, I don't have time for this. And um, and that's kind of why I did. And what I loved about my husband, he accepted my natural hair transition, like the lock transition. At first he was like, oh my gosh, your locks are fuzzy. Like, because, you know, you go through this fuzzy stage. And I was like, either you like it or you don't. <laughs> so, <laughs>
1: with the program. And
0: obviously he, he, he grew to like it. And so, I mean, you don't stay in that stage forever, but um, right. I had my locks about six months before we got married. So we got married and I had locks. Again, a lot of people thought I had braids just because of the size of my locks. So it wasn't, I do remember though, um, the day before I got married, Uh, I remember I was around one of my sister's friends and she was like, well, what are you going to do with your hair? And I was just like, (laughs) interesting. I, you know, that somebody that my sister would associate with would have such a negative view um, about my hair and in that state. Of course she had, um, she had a perm and it was, you know, long and thick. And I was like, I, I, you know, my The person I'm marrying knows how my hair looks and loves my hair the way it is. Like, that's not going to ruin my relationship or ruin my marriage because I have locks. And I was like, and if that's something that is consuming your mind, that's too bad. So, um, I, you know, of course, I had it styled. I had some um, cowrie shells in my hair. It was cute. And I went ahead and got married and loved it. Loved my hair. I still love it. And, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lifestyle because I think when you grown them and you've had them for so long in order for you to maintain them, you have to have a connection with them because there have been so mm. many people who cut them after a while and I've, I've trimmed them you know, and I've cut them shorter because they, especially when I had the girls, they grew very quickly. And so I had to, you know, just trim them to maintain them. But now I wear them long. I don't know. Um, I haven't cut them yet, you know, completely off. But what I see myself doing is maybe cutting them in a style or something like that. But I don't think, you know, I've done, professionally, I've done so many different things. And I've had so many different opportunities as a blogger. And my hair was never a hindrance. It was always... Um, you know, just a part of me, and if anything, I got compliments. So nice. It's wonderful. So what
1: if um, what message would you give out to someone who's considering locks or just going natural in general, but is either um, a little uncomfortable, disgruntled, or just kind of unsure?
0: I think it's so important for you to wear your hair don't let your hair wear you. I think people can see when people are not comfortable with their appearance. So if you walk into a room and you look like, I don't know what my hair is doing today and you seem unsure of yourself, that's that's what you're going to convey to other people. But if you walk into the room like you're royalty, like you're commanding attention and you're owning it, that is what people will receive from you. And so, regardless of the way that you rock your hair, if you're confident in the way that you rock it, that's really what matters. You know, I think of artists, some artists. And so what if people don't like your hair? But if you are confident, people will be like, oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing ever. Like they'll they'll come over and they'll find a way to like it. So it's how you present it to the world. And I think when it comes to just maintaining your locks, I think in those early stages, if you want to wear wraps or find a creative way to style it, find a natural hairstylist that knows what they're doing. With locks, you don't want to put a lot of products in them. That's where you find people with breakage or hair hair that's unhealthy. So you really have to connect with somebody who knows. And If you connect with a stylist that that's their gift, I think you'll be fine. And it'll help you if that stylist is also willing to teach you, you know, how to maintain your hair. I think you'll be okay. And so professionally, you know, there is a expectation to be presentable. So you have to identify what that means to you and what that means to you in terms of your hair. So if that means going to the hairstylist, learning some simple styles that look professional, then that's what you have to have to do.
1: Hmm. I love that. Um, speaking of professional, one thing that I like to ask everybody is um, how or what does
0: professionalism mean to you? Oh, wow. So professionalism to me means being on time. It means responding in a manner that is honest, that is with integrity, and that you can stand behind your word. So that means that whatever you're telling someone or whatever product you're putting out, you are personally saying, I stand behind this. So it's putting your own personal stamp of approval behind whatever you're doing. And so your work will often precede you. And so professionalism, is allowing that to happen and being willing to allow your work or your product or anything that you're doing to go before you and to, um, to stand for you. And so I think for me, it's just important to identify that early on so that you'll know what is your standard. You can't wing it as you go along. You have to mentally be aware and process what that means to you so that you're ahead of whatever comes along. So that's what professionalism means to me.
1: I love that. Thank you. You know, this has um, been an incredible opportunity to kind of sit down and learn from you from all the different um, things just around health and how to kind of begin managing certain things. Um, and one thing that I think a lot of times, just well, really everyone, but especially people who are younger, like my age and younger, we have this kind of invincibility mindset that, like you know, nothing can phase us, hurt us, or anything negative can happen to us. And when we do are met with these like diagnoses, we it, it kind of like snaps us from that reality, and we it's it it can be depressing, I guess. Um, but I think one thing that I hope people get from this is that there are like it, it's it's not the end and there's a lot of things you could do. So um I'm wondering like if when you think back from your experience from um learning about it, getting a di- diagnosis and just continuing to live this lifestyle, like what is something that you would say to somebody who um is receiving their diagnosis for the first time?
0: I would say, try to find someone else who has the diagnosis and is thriving. I think it's important. Sometimes we put so much focus on ourselves and it's like, you can't necessarily process that at the same time because you're scared. And so if you connect with someone else who's going through something, it's like, well, if they, can, if they can get through this, you may not even know the person personally. That can mean Googling it and finding someone online. And it's like, oh, wow. Like for me, I think about T-Boss. She was able to have her career. I think about Prodigy. He was able to have his career. And, you know, they still did the things that they were good at. And they're still, well, Prodigy has passed away, unfortunately, from the disease, but um, t Baz, she just celebrated her 50th birthday and she's still, you know, doing things that she loves. She's a mom and she's a creative. And so I think sometimes you do have to understand that there are people who have gone before you. Someone who had sickle cell that people may not know is Miles Davis. And I mean, he was the greatest trumpeter of all time, you know? Right. Um, And so I just I look at that and what I did for when my daughter was very young, I connected with Facebook groups online and I really got to know people who were living with the disease because I didn't know anyone who had it. And so when I did that, I see people who are advocating, who are thriving, and I learned how to advocate from what they were doing. And so that has really been made a world of difference to me find people who you can learn from and who can learn from you. So I share, you know, my strengths with them, what I do well, and they share with me what they do well. And so from that, I'm able to see that my daughter, you know, she can do whatever she wants. There are people in so many professions, like It very well could be all professions who have sickle cell disease or any disease. You just never know because sometimes people aren't willing to talk about them. So I'm willing to talk about, you know, the illnesses that affect my family because I know there are people who want to hear that and who find strength, inspiration and encouragement from knowing what other people are going through. I'm still working, I'm still, you know, creating, I'm still producing things and just giving to my community. And the illnesses haven't stopped that. If anything, they've helped to strengthen my voice because people know that, Hey, it takes a lot to be able to work for yourself. And you're doing that all while you're homeschooling and you're trying to keep your child healthy. And so I like to be transparent about that. You know, find a circle of support that's helpful as well. Even if it's people who don't have the illness, you need somebody who loves you and who is willing to listen to you when days are hard. I think about Chadwick Boseman. You know, he we just found out that he passed. And I think he is a great example of being willing to live his life to the fullest, despite his diagnosis. So there were things that he had a focus. He had a vision of what he wanted his legacy to be. And so every day he did something to really secure that legacy. And so I think as a parent and someone who is affected by a diagnosis, every day I am trying to secure my legacy. So I have a book, called um, a sickle cell coloring book for kids. It says that it's a coloring book. It's really a guide to help people understand how to take care of sickle cell. And I made it as a coloring book so parents can do it along with their children. Because if we want our children to grow up to be healthy, we got to teach them while they're little. That's where the habits are formed. And so um, so I created that book to help start cementing my legacy as an adult, because I'm a part of this community. What am I giving it, giving to it? And so you have to find when you receive a diagnosis, find something that you can give to the community.
1: Hmm, I love that. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think that giving to the community is very interesting because I could help really align with a purpose. So know during that time, there's definitely like a feeling of being lost. So that's just one easy way to just start finding something to focus in on.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Love it. Okay. So, and um, how can um, everybody find you? So if you go to my blog, cleverlychanging.com, you can find me and you can find links to my podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find me on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at cleverly changing. Pretty simple. Same name, cleverly changing. I'm also on Twitter I'm at cleverly change in without the G on Twitter, so that's the only one that's a little bit different. But I'm everywhere, so definitely drop a drop a line. Let me know that you found me on Boss Locks and um, connect with me, because I'm definitely approachable and I like connecting with other people. So thank you.
1: Of course, and hey, man, I'm so so glad. I, mean, I guess I already mentioned it, but yeah, really happy that we got a chance to speak. So thank you very much for coming on. Um, Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or speak to before we go?
0: Um, Nope, I think that's it. But if people are interested in my book, um, there is a link, but you can also find it on Amazon. So it's a sickle cell coloring book for kids during the month of September. Um, If you want to get that book into your library, reach out to me. I'm at, cleverlychanging at gmail.com. Send me an email so that we can get it there. Because this illness affects so many different people, and we want to erase the stigma, erase the ch- shame, and we want to talk about it. And I think the coloring book is one way for us to do that. Because again, it's an educational resource.
1: Love it. i will make sure we have all the links to the um, the registry to sign up for, like the cheek swabs, the book, well. Descriptions are showing us on the website everywhere. You will not have an excuse, it'll be there, easy to find.
0: Yes, uh, I shared so much <laughs> throughout the <laughs> conversation, but all good things, all good things,
1: all good, all amazing things. I just want
0: money in the bank
1: that is a wrap thank you so much for listening to today's episode it's boss lodge where we are redefining professionalism and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist Now, if you like today's episode and want to learn more about our guests, go ahead and visit www.bosslocks.org. You could also click the link in the description. It'll take you right to the episode page where you can see all the different links and places to learn and connect with our guests. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, which is the best place to get direct messages from me to you. We'll always continue to announce things through this podcast, but you'll be able to get more information about everything happening outside of the podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. My name is Walt and I will see you next
0: time.
1: I just want
0: money in the bank. Money in the bank. I just want money in the bank. Money in the bank. I just want money in the
1: bag, I just want.